All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. We have an awesome episode lined up for you today. Uh, I am Jason here with Brian and Caleb and Tommy. And uh, just as a side note, if if any of you out there of our listeners, if you're thinking about starting a podcast with uh, other people in a group, just know there's going to be a lot of uh, delays when you want to start recording an episode because you are going to get off on tangents uh, you might be making each other laugh. You might be making each other cry, throwing compliments or insults at each other. And that can really delay things. But thank you guys for coming back to another episode. We've got a good one for you today. We're um we're going to start off. Caleb is going to read um, something, uh, reading about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he's going to frame that up and explain what's going on, who he is in his life and what impact that has. And then we're going to be tying that into the rest of our discussion for the episode here. So go ahead, Caleb. Bonhoeffer's twin sister was married to a man of Jewish ancestry. When his brother-in-law's father died, Bonhoeffer was asked to preach at the funeral, but he declined. He consulted church authorities who advised him not to do it as they were being cautious in view of policies towards Jews. Later, he said, I am tormented by the thought that I did not do what you asked me. How could I have been so afraid at the time? All I can do is ask that you forgive my weakness then. I know for certain now that I ought to behave differently. Bonhoeffer then wrote a piece challenging the church to not stand by and do nothing in the face of the Jewish question in Germany. So we're going we're gonna to explain a little bit on who he was, but I want to just hit on the, the points we're hoping to cover in this episode here. We've been talking about truth, and uh, in the last episode, we, we dove in a bit to this book, Live Not By Lies, that we've been reading. Um, it's, it's an amazing book, at least as far as I've gotten through it so far, um, but we want to look at areas of our lives that we compromise in without realizing it as as leaders as christians as people in our community have come to realize there's a lot of small areas in life that we don't even realize we're compromising the truth in and and maybe not in extreme crazy ways but maybe in those ways but there's there's these little areas of life that creep in and we end up compromising to the world around us to the culture around us without even realizing it it's almost a a response or an instinct at times for so we're going to look at some of that and then we want to talk about how we build truth into our everyday existence and what i mean by that is we've discovered this truth that whatever your source is for something in an area of life whether it's financial social uh, whatever it is that source has control over you to an extent so if you're dependent on a job for your income that business, that job has control over your finances. If you don't believe me, then just imagine what it would be like if you quit your job tomorrow and all the thoughts would come in of, well, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to provide for this? How is it going to appear socially when everyone around me realizes I quit a job and didn't have another one lined up? And it's it's not to say that those things are wrong, but to to kind of look ourselves in the mirror and see what are the areas of my life where there's something that has control where maybe it shouldn't, or maybe there's a truth that I've compromised and haven't realized it before. And it's interesting that um, in the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he faced the same thing. And so either Brian or Caleb, I don't know if you guys want to frame up for us who he was, what time frame he was living in, just so we have a bit of a picture there. Yeah, so basically Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian theologian during the uh, late 30s and early 40s in the time of Hitler's reign in Germany. And basically he was faced with the question like, earlier when I read what is his answer to the issue going on with the Jews, because 
this was a big discussion in the church was the system is not for us or Jewish people now. What do we do about that? So he had that question to be asked in a very personal way, because when his brother-in-law's father died, he was asked to preach at the funeral, but he consulted church authorities and they advise against doing that. So in that case, they said the system, it will not be good for you because of the system if you go and preach at this funeral. So in his case, he decided not to, which as I read, he later regretted not doing. A couple points that you just brought up is the idea that the system, it wouldn't be good for you within the system to go forward with this. In other words, it wouldn't just affect your standing in the community. It would affect your standing in the church because that corporate church idea, uh, identity had adopted to these ideas. So they were doing things in, in their view to have the most to keep operating. And so anyone that was going to go outside of that, they were, they were highly uh, recommending not to be involved or pressuring them not to be involved. And I, I think it's very interesting how the concept and the, the issue that Bonhoeffer is dealing with seems like a real big issue. And looking back in history, we could see where this could be a real con, the, uh, conflict and a, an important issue to stand with. But when you're in day-to-day stuff, we overlook that all the time. And in this podcast, I'm hoping that we can kind of unpack that on a daily level, not that you live constantly in an antagonistic view of everything, but how do we function from a different source and be in this world, In this, because the world is referring to the system of this world when the Bible says in this world. How do we function in the system of this world, but not be of that system? And I, this is a hard one to unpack. We can see it on big things, but on the little daily things, we compromise it all the time because it's just not worth it, or we don't even recognize it. We've gone down this idea enough in the last couple of episodes where we've, we've kind of done away with the excuse of, well, we don't face anything to the degree of what Bonhoeffer faced in his time. And, and maybe there's a truth to that, but the principles behind the influence of a culture, the influence of a society, the influence of a government at his time, the influence of other Christian leaders at his time, those things are just as real today as they always were. They might look different. There might be different circumstances that we face today, but the principles are still there. And I think it's a great deception that we believe where it's, we don't really have to worry about that. Why would you need to, as a Christian in America today, ask yourself the question of, are there areas where I've compromised the truth in my life, or I'm just too afraid to to speak out in the truth? Because people have thought that throughout history. Well, that's not really applying to me right now. That there's nothing I have to worry about today. In America, we've kind of gotten over this whole, you know, religious persecution. We've we have kind of a a harmony between church and state and between the world and Christianity. So we don't have to worry about that too much. So I hope we've gotten past that and we realize the need for it today. But I uh, there's a um uh there's some pastor, I think he's in Canada that a cousin of mine was just telling me about who is now in prison because he decided to open his church. I I can't remember his name for the life of me. And I don't know a lot of the details, but what's going on is that there's actual persecution in the world around us. And so if we don't deal deal with these questions now and ask ourselves on the simple things, well, what areas am I compromising the truth in that I need to be aware of? What areas of life am I kind of just, you know, um, being quiet in 
or not being myself and not letting my true identity in Christ show that we need to start addressing. So if something bigger does happen, we're prepared for it, but not just for a big thing, but because shockingly, our lives are lived day to day. In that example, not made up of big events and moments. In that example, you just gave what the other side will say has nothing to do with your church freedom and religious freedom. Nobody is persecuting that. It's the fact you didn't abide by our guidelines in what we ordered for you not to do in the assembly process. And the problem is, it's not a direct, it doesn't sound direct, but it's directly dealing with that. Um, From that perspective, we don't need to spend time on it, but just even the fact everyone in the city can go to Walmart, but you can't meet at a church. Those are things that become something strange here. So we have systematic rules and approvals, but in that specific case, it's very interesting to note is the reason that becomes so subtle is because what's opposing you does not use the issue that you're trying to stand for. They're using something else and they're demonizing you because you don't care about people. You don't care about the health of people. You don't care about this. And you're trying to say, no, if we're not assembling together, something's going to be missing socially that we're going to die inside or, or whatever that, whatever the conviction was there. And those two pieces it doesn't become a, a, a direct conflict because they skirt around that issue. And so this is when there's something, a higher truth is dealing with your truth. And I think that is what's prevalent in our society today. And the idea that we're not being persecuted, I think right now there is a, a actually a more blatant that Christianity is the problem in America. And that is when you're hearing that on news reports and you're hearing that coming from pundits, the issue is middle America Christians. And so we, we do have something that's, that's stirring up. So. Well, I think that's exactly the point of, of what Bonhoeffer was facing at his time, because the, the responses at his time from his culture, society, other Christian leaders, it was not, Hey, you shouldn't really associate with Jews. If, from my understanding of his situation there, it was, it's, you know, we, we obviously care about the Jewish people, but it just wouldn't look good if you're doing that right now. So you just need to not do this service because of how it would look culturally, politically. It's just not a, a wise move to do right now. And that is the exact same thing that we're facing but it's just, it's just different phraseology. We're not saying you can't meet as a church. We're just saying you can't have more than, you know, 50 people in your building. And we're not saying you can't meet. We're just saying you, you can't sing while you meet in different areas. We're not saying you can't preach the gospel. We're just saying you have to do it online instead of in person. And, and the point is not to say choosing to have an online service is wrong or right. That's not the point. The point is, have we ever asked ourselves in those moments what does my father want me to do here? Is it the right call aligning with my identity to have an online service and not meet in person? Or am I doing that because of the the pressure from the world? Have I given up some kind of control? Has that become my source? Whatever the world, the political, the cultural system is providing for me to where now I have to do whatever they tell me to. The motive and the reasoning behind that is is the most important thing. I don't know if you guys see it a little bit differently, but to me, that's the exact same thing facing a lot of us today. It's this pressure of 
well, just do it a little bit differently because of how it'll look or because the government is telling us to. And again, I'm not saying one decision is right or wrong. I'm just saying the motive behind it is the point. And I think that's the same thing Bonhoeffer was facing, which he later regretted as being a wrong decision. Here's where the trap comes. The right to assemble. And by the way, we're not talking about whether churches should open or not. We're just walking through how this goes. The, the church was designed to assemble so you could meet face to face and share information and share truths and grow together and bond because we need each other. The moment you comply and say, well, you can do it online, but then you find out online can actually determine what's being said that would normally be said inside that church service. So now you get pushed to a place that's also being filtered and managed on how it's being communicated. So everything gets nullified in that process. And that's why it's very important. We see a bigger picture. It, it's, it's bigger than that. And so this comes to everyday life. It's not just whether you can have church or not. It's about how we go to work. It's how we function in this world. It's about who our source is. Uh, so I kind of want to make that distinction. Everything has a ripple effect. It doesn't just affect one area. It starts snowballing into many areas. Jason, I would have to say that I, <clears throat> I think that maybe one of the main issues is like what you're saying about people just don't stop and ask God about these bigger issues or things that society says you should do. You just listen because that's what they say to do, but you never really stop to question it and wonder what's the motive behind such and such, you know, like with church meeting in person or online. I always was, I guess, was just thinking, well, what's, what's everyone else doing? What, you know, but it's not really about what everyone else is doing. It's about what does God want you to do in that situation? And so I think that is something that I've been kind of growing through myself is like, why, why do we do certain things just because people say to do those certain things? And where do those people get their truth from? Because it may be out of selfish motives, you know? Isn't that interesting that there's a lot of areas where we kind of look around to see what other people are doing and that for whatever reason, either gives us, it pushes us to do what they're doing in a lot of in a lot of areas, just because well, there's a lot of people doing it, and every, no one would no one believes that they function this way. But I think if we're all honest and take a look at our lives, we'll see times in our past where we've done the exact same thing, where there's something going on, and we look around, well, are other people doing it, and that that feeds something into the back of our minds that pushes us towards making the same decision. And yet we all grew up with our moms and dads telling us, well, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you? So yeah, I think it is that we just, we have to look at these small areas first and see, are there areas where I'm kind of compromising and without realizing it? And am I, am I letting the truth that my father has spoken to me of my identity, my purpose, what I should stand for and not stand for? Am I letting that really truly be out in all these areas of my life? And if not, what do I do about that? What's a step to change that? I was going to mention, I can't remember where I heard this or what I heard it from, but I remember hearing about like a, a study where there's people in a room and they tell them to like either draw something or, you know, say something is like draw a circle or whatever. And then everyone else draws like a triangle and that person draws a circle. And then after a while, 
that person ends up just drawing a triangle because that's what they think they're supposed to do. I feel like that kind of has like the same effect on our culture is that like we give in so easily to the crowd of people, even though we know it's wrong. And I wonder why that is. Why do we, is it just like the group, you want to be part of a group so bad or you, there's some longing inside of you that you need filled to be a part of the group and not step out and be uncomfortable or, you know, be an outsider, even though it's standing up for what is true. I find that really interesting. Oh, there's a, there's a deep need for all of us to be part of a community, to be part of a group. And I remember seeing another experiment like that, where they had people at like a DMV or something waiting and they'd have one person in there that wasn't um, wasn't part of the the experiment, and they'd have like a, a buzzer go off, and when the buzzer would go off, everyone would stand up, except for that one person because they they didn't know what was going on. They just looked around like everyone was weird, and then they slowly brought the actors out and brought in new random people, and they did it at a, at a at a pace where the new person who didn't know what was going on eventually started standing up when the buzzer goes off, even though they have no idea why. And they started to perpetuate that. So eventually the room was full of people that were not actors, not part of the experiment. And they would all stand up when the buzzer would go off. And it was the weirdest thing. But then but then I remember thinking back um, in my freshman year of college, didn't skip a class, was not late for a class my entire first semester, because that's what I was. I was, I was a good student. I was there on purpose. I was at college to go to classes to learn things. But then second semester, I got around some new friends that were upperclassmen and they, they found out I'd never skipped a class and they were like, well, well, why not? Like we all do that. And we will either go and hang out once in a while, or we'll do it to, for some other productive means. We'll go work out instead of going to class or something. And eventually I started doing the same thing. I didn't become like a deadbeat student, but I let that part of me go for acceptance in that group. And because I thought it offered something better, I thought, well, they're upperclassmen, they know how to work the college system better. Maybe never ever skipping a class isn't really that healthy. Maybe I'm not getting the full college experience. And the point isn't you know, to skip or not to skip class, but because of that, of that influence, I changed my behavior. From the book, uh, Live Not By Lies that we've been discussing since last week, there's an interesting um, idea that comes from that. It's on page 31. It says, what prepares men for totalitarian domination in the non-totalitarian world? It is the fact that loneliness, once a borderline experience, usually suffered in certain marginal and social conditions like old age, has become an everyday experience of an ever-growing masses of our century. Century. It's as if they would rather accept the politics in order to replace the community they once wished they had. So this whole idea has a lot to do with, we don't want to feel rejected. Conformity is a part of our natural, our fallen nature. It is, a, it is something that is, it is a battle against. You know, real leadership, I remember one of my heroes, Peter Daniels, he said, leadership by definition is loneliness. So in order to be a leader, there is times that you, you're, you're going to be lonely. You have to stand alone. It doesn't mean you have to stay there. But again, we come back to where's our source. 
If your source of life is God the Father, you're not alone. If your source of life is your community around you, you will do whatever to maintain that because isolation and loneliness is one of the biggest drivers that we will compromise ourselves just not to be on the outside of a group. And that's just part of our fallen nature. And so this is a real, it's a real battle and we do it every day. We do it in the workplace and how many times you say, yeah, it's just not worth getting into it because I don't want to wreck what's happening right now. And I'm not saying we should be a constant antagonist making everybody hate us and then you walk alone. That is not the process. I'm just saying it's a, there's this there's this something that uh, an enslavement that is constantly pressing against us to keep us in that group. And it's more than just people. It's more than just government policies. It's more than uh, just a new regime taking over and now they're doing this. No, this has been going on and building for a long period of time. Isolate people, help them become more isolated. The more they become isolated, they become desperate for community. Now you start adapting and creating a sense of anger at those that cause the separation. Then they group together around that anger and pretty soon they start to rise and it allows totalitarianism to start moving in. And it takes place in multiple different areas, not just in governments, but this is some of that fruit of that way of thinking and that, that idea. So Caleb, you know more about the life of Bonhoeffer than I do. So I want, I want your perspective on this. How did he journey through that whole thing? So he goes from essentially compromising what he knew to be right and regretting it and then walking a different journey, walking a different path. What did that whole thing look like for him? Yeah, it's interesting to think about because I was thinking if the system did not say like it would be a bad idea to go participate in this event it wouldn't have been even a question in his mind like he would have gone and done it anyways but because the system was saying something else that contradicted who he was he then had to question that and that questioning led to him not doing it which he later saw looking back on it as okay that was a mistake so then his trajectory after that completely changed to where he said now I'm not going to let the system define who I'm going to be because I'm just going to act out on my identity and what I know the truth is that actually led him down the path of eventually being part of the resistance in Germany and participating in different things that um, eventually led to his arrest being like a quote unquote political prisoner, which at the end of near the end of world war II, eventually led to him being executed by the order of Hitler. So it took him down that path, but it's interesting to look at the beginning where it's like, it could almost be like a moment where he saw what I did did not line up with who I was. So now, regardless of the system, I'm going to go walk it out. And it was a lonely path because even though he had people like around him, you know, he was a leader in that movement as well. So he had to stand out and choose to act regardless of what anybody else did. Yeah, interesting, even in his life when he was put in prison, because I think he served, what, two years in prison? or uh, being a part of the conspiracy against Hitler, when people visited him, he was the same. His demeanor was the same. His joy was the same. It, it is not that you go and stand isolated alone and now you're alone. When you're following the truth and God being your father, you're with him. Yes, it feels painful from the natural point, but the deep, the deep strength 
doesn't go away. And I think we, when we're, when we're talking about this practice, this practical idea of how do you live this out? It's, it's just changing that source line. Who's your source? For me, I look at it as that I'm like an ambassador of the kingdom of God to this earth that although I operate in the world, it's not, I don't have to live by the world's rules and I don't have to live by the world in a sense. And that I operate from the kingdom of God and from those truths. So it doesn't require me to follow the world because as an ambassador, you carry with the laws of the land, although you live in another country, right? And so you operate by those, the laws of your own land, not the laws of the country you're in. And so I'd say that that applies to the same thing in the world here is that if you're a born again Christian and you believe, you know, in God and that you're a son and that he gives you a new identity and that you're found in him, that you don't have to operate in the world. Now, I do think that you have to live through the world and so that you're going to come into contact with a lot of people that live by the world standards but i don't think that means that you have to drop to drop down to their standards and bring them up i think that you continue to operate in that way and people really begin to notice that you're living differently and that you're not a part of this world in a sense and i think that's something that's really cool and what I also got from Live Not By Lies was there's one part where it talks about a guy having like a sign in his shop about the communist Russia or something, and he decided to take it down. And the reason why others in his community did not like him for doing that was they spoke up against him because they knew if they spoke up against him, the authorities would loosen up on them. So it wasn't like they didn't recognize the truth. It's that they cared so much about what the authorities thought that they basically turned their back to this other person, although that's what they believed. And I find that really interesting is like leadership. What Brian was talking about is definition is being lonely or having loneliness. I think that's just like the beginning of it, right? I think of a YouTube video where my friends just showed me like the other week of um, it was a pretty funny video. It's just a guy dancing at a concert and he's going crazy. He's dancing. He's doing all this type of weird, you know, dance moves or whatever. And you can kind of sense in the crowd, everyone's kind of like, what, what is this guy doing? Why is he? And then boom, another guy comes in and starts dancing and they're both doing like different dances and stuff. And then people are like, whoa, like it's okay to dance. And then more people join in and more people join in. So I think it's, for me, it's, recognizing other people who stand with the truth or stand up for truth or stand up for stuff that I am feel conviction towards as well and recognizing that and standing with them. That doesn't mean like that you just go find someone who is in some position of authority and you make them do whatever, but you stand with them and Although you may be interacting in different ways, like the guys weren't doing the same dance. They're dancing totally different. But they still allowed people to come in 
just by stepping out. And so I think not only is it important to step out and experience kind of that loneliness of like, oh, I don't know, you know, that guy, obviously his source wasn't from what the crowd was singing. He's just having a good time, right? He's not thinking, oh, what is everyone else thinking about? And he's like, I'm here to have a good time and that's what I'm going to do. And it's the same thing with the other person is he comes in just to have a good time. It's not about helping the other guy out or whatever. It's about doing the same thing in a different way. And so I think for me, it's been really important to recognize others in my communities who stand up for truth and walk along with them and recognize as that's valid and that's true. Although I don't have to live the same, live it out the same way. I can experience that truth in a different sense. It's crazy to see the impact that someone standing out of a crowd like that, standing up for something can have on other people. And I think that that inspires so many people to rise up in, in, you can say in truth or in identity or just in freedom, like more and more people will just feel the freedom to dance. And I think that's why, you know, for lack of a better term, why the enemy fights so hard to keep people from standing up for the truth because he knows if one person starts it, then there's going to be a flood that follow them. And it's only a matter of time. And so I think of that when it applies to every single one of us, there's a reason why you feel this outside pressure to not stand up for something that you know you need to stand up for. And it's not just this like society pressure around you. It's that there's an actual enemy who desperately wants you to just shut up and not do anything because he knows once you do, there's a tidal wave that's going to follow you of people that are standing up in freedom. So that's kind of an encouraging thought. Like he's that terrified of you actually standing up in freedom to throw all these things at you and to try to keep you so depressed and so ashamed and so timid. I think you know, honestly, the- it's, it's so freeing being able to stand up and just like the example I was talking about, like this guy just dancing it's freeing. He doesn't care what other people think of what other people think of him, but he's just there and doing what he feels led to do. And I think that's like super powerful is just that you don't get your source from people, but when you find out that when you live like that, people come surrounded about around you. And you know, it's not like a they become your source, but it's like you have confidence in the fact that people are behind you no matter what. And I think that is a good thing, but you need to also remember that God is the source, right? And without God being that source, it's easy for people to turn their backs on you and, you know, shame you or disgrace you or laugh at you because the whole crowd's laughing at this guy until boom, there's a huge mob of people dancing. And it's like, oh, well, then I should go dance. So I think. I just, I find it really interesting how that works. Think about inventions or different things that are around right now that were just mocked and laughed at. I think it was what in the 1800s, they were going to close the patent office because they believed everything that could be made was made. I mean, look, look where we're at today. And um, again, we've you can talk about this from multiple levels, but it really just comes down to who are you? And w- once that becomes established, you start seeing this ar- around you. And, you know, if you boycotted every single person that goes against a belief that you have, you, you couldn't function in this world. At the same token, 
a unified group's money is pretty powerful and you can actually sway a, a, an organization or a group to also go the different direction. I think there's a place for all of that, but it has to be within the context of a truth. It's not, I don't like you, so I'm going to come against you. It has, there, there's something that has to have a deeper baseline of this. This is why Esther risked her life to go before the king. This is why Daniel risked his life and just was going to keep praying. But like you said, once you pop up and you, you're willing to stand, it is amazing how courage is contagious, which we've talked about before. I mean, if you do remember, after, that... after David killed Goliath, um, I believe it was the whole nation rose up and they chased down and, and yeah. uh, beat the Philistines. So it just took someone to stand up, and then all of a sudden, here comes the courage. That's another really important thing to remember, is when, especially when it comes to, okay, how am I taking this and making it practical in my day-to-day? In my -day? If you're going to boycott something, you better make sure that you're ready to go without it. Because I remember growing up there in, in the Christian circles I was in, we'd have a new boycott of something every year. And then it would go away, and I'd find us supporting the company again next year. And so a boycott was little more to me than... You know, I, I got to say, it was little more than just like a child tantrum, short-lived, and then the fuse goes out, and you're like, okay, well, fine, I still want this thing. It's like the little kid that runs away at like 1.30 in the afternoon, like, I'm running away from home, and they get hungry an hour later, like, oh, I need dinner. I'm going to go back home now and, and not run away. So make, like, if you're, if you're in something, be in. If you're going to be done with something, then be done with it. And make sure that that's a choice you make and you stand for and you know what it actually means to stand for something and have to keep standing for it when you start to feel that pull. Like, well, wasn't it nice that you had this thing provided for you, though, when you were there and giving in to that? Because that'll come, too. I think it's also cool just looking at, like, the life of David is that he, he had to stand before other things when no one was around too. Like he had to defend sheep in the wilderness, like he's a shepherd. And he had to do that before anyone joined him or before anyone watched. And I think that same truth can be applied to us today is that we need to be willing to stand for the truth in little things, not just the big things. Because when it comes down to it, if you don't live in the truth on those small things, you'll never have the courage or the backing to stand up for something way bigger. Cause when I think of it, like every time that I fall for something that I don't necessarily you know, agree with, but I'm just like, Oh, whatever. I just, it's not worth the battle or whatever, but sometimes it's actually worth it to stand up in that moment and kind of build yourself some credibility with yourself that you are willing to take a stand on something. Because if you don't take a stand, when it's something small like that, you just never really build up the confidence to stand alone in something big. And if you never stand for something big, I mean, you fall for everything and it's just your life kind of becomes null and nothing and you did nothing to have an impact. That idea of, of standing for something big, you know, or standing, what are you for? I think one thing in this practical idea is there's a lot of things we know we're against but most people don't know what we're for. 
And I just want you to look yep. at just even at, at this point in America, it is still a free market and you could build a business. We've become comfortable with someone else doing all the labor and we just becoming the beneficiaries of it. But whatever happened to us producing and us creating and us producing the competition and, I, you know, just from a, from a business point of view, create a business that competes against it. I know, but it's not going to be as big. And how do I get, this is the dumb thinking. So instead we just become mad and then we're just going to be against it. No, be a solution to that. And I, there needs to be a solution mindedness to this. Keep in mind when Daniel prayed, he wasn't rebelling against not praying. He was praying because that was his source. And when he got thrown into the lion's den, the lions couldn't touch him because his source was different. He was actually being a solution, not a problem. I don't know if that, your stand has to be solutional, not just problematic and against. And I think that's a hard time where people don't even know what they are, because then you come back to a lot of Christian circles and we can't even agree on what we're for. We're just fighting what we're against. So I think we need to switch that. Jesus knew what he was for. His kingdom, God's, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's for Here's what he's for. Here's what he's for. Here's what he's for. He's against the works of the devil because here's what he's for. And we need to know what he's for in order to really know what we're, what we're doing. And so I think that could be an encouraging point. Even David before Goliath told him what he was for, not just, Hey, I'm against those words. No, I'm for this. And that became the provoking point. I think one thing I've experienced in my life is that even um, if you don't take an active stand against something, in your passiveness, you can also face um, adversity. Because my mind, like what I've seen is with the whole Black Lives Matter movement, it was like if you don't actively vilify the system or like it's like I've seen like videos where it's like you have to say Black Lives Matter and different stuff like this. And it's not to say that people don't have value. But when I look at that, organization or movement, it doesn't align with my values. So even though I could be vilified as something that that movement is fighting against, like I, I know it doesn't align with my values. So I have to still stand with what I believe is the truth, even if that means like doing nothing. So I didn't speak out against that movement, but I also didn't like speak approval just for the sake of other people saying like, oh, okay, he, he's not racist or something like that. Cause I'm secure in my identity of like knowing who I am and knowing what I believe. So it doesn't matter if I actively participate to prove to other people that like in that case, like, Oh yes, I believe there's evil things in this world that we have to fight against. It's like, I, I was just happy to like be secure in my identity, know my source, which is my father in heaven. And it's like, granted, yes. Like if I saw, like, you know, some terrible thing happening to somebody in real life. Yes, there should be done, something done about it. But when it's like, if you don't declare, if you don't speak this, when it doesn't align with my values, then I still have to actively stand on what I believe. Does that make sense? The direction I'm heading? Yeah, I think it goes back to the source of something. So even in that example, your source of the answer to the question, well, am I racist, does not come from any organization or any person whatsoever. It doesn't come from the government or your neighbor. 
It comes from your identity in Christ. And so if that is the source, then your response to things around you in the world might be this, it might be that, it might be to post this, it might be to not post this or share this or not share this, but that doesn't determine, or the action is not inspired by, well, if I don't do this, then they're my source and they might take away this, this provision of inclusion for me has, has no effect on you because your source has become the father and your identity in him. And that's, that's something that we need to, again, back to the day-to-day application. How do we apply that in everything? Yeah, that's why, yeah, that's why in my situation, I didn't feel like I had the need to seek others approval by saying like, these things that are happening are evil and pointing out different stuff and trying to make a, like a, like validate myself by making a point of the situation Instead, it was like, no, I'm comfortable in who I am and knowing who my source is that I don't have to have your approval for any situation. I think that it doesn't even have to be like the race issue. It can be like even things like, you know, anything like wearing a mask. It's like sometimes is okay. Wait, kind of backtrack. Maybe I don't want to make it all political. Um, you talk I about think Michael that, Jordan. But, by the way, it, little side note, I, I'm not recording this part, but it, there's that one point in the book that he says to a Marxist, they must make everything political. That's where our struggle is. Yeah. Well, I think that's what you're, well, you're talking about, Caleb, hold on, not to, not to steer you in a direction, but you're talking about. I don't have to be political about everything I say. That's not my source. Like you can't make me political about everything because that's not. Yeah, it doesn't, I don't have to make a political statement for people to know that I'm a good person or a bad person. Like when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they simply stood there and like, they just chose not to bow. So they weren't, like trying to prove who they were. They were like, we're just, we're not making a statement by kneeling, but we're also not making a statement by standing. That's political. We're simply acting on our identity and who we are. And the system and the circumstances doesn't change that we're going to act this way regardless. So I think that's even an important thing is like, because the system can always change. And if you rely on the system as your source, whenever it changes, then your source will change and then you have to adapt to the systems. But if you have a source outside of the system, no matter what's happening in the system, no matter how the circumstances are changing, you'll feel secure, not having to make any statements, not having to actively participate in anything, not having to like not do something like you can simply act on who you are and your identity, regardless of the situation and what other people are looking for you to do to be accepted as part of a community or a social group. One one element to add into this practicality is removing the envy and strife in that situation. Because the moment, even because there's individuals that took a stand, I mean, for, Hitler took a stand, Stalin took a stand. I mean, there, Lenin took a stand. They went to prison over some of their beliefs to bring it about. So it's important that you don't just say, I believe a truth. And so I'm going to stand even in the face of opposition. You got to step back. There has, it has to be motivated in love. In other words, I'm not here to destroy the person in front of me. I'm not here to, 
to have a personal vendetta to get my justice because you've wronged me. It's I'm standing for the truth regardless of what you do to me. But the motivation is not out of envy and strife. And it's very important that that is distinguished in this process. Otherwise, you could find examples on all sides of the spectrum that have done this principle. Because the principle still works, but it's been used wrong on, on different areas. So in this, you're standing for truth. And it's interesting when you true so when you recognize someone truly standing in truth. It's funny how Daniel was an interpreter of dreams. Joseph was an interpreter of dreams. Esther was an answer to a, a, a problem. These people became the source of the leader's truth, and it changed things. Yeah, because I have always found when people actively stand against something, it's like if they don't provide a solution, what is the point of actively standing against something? Because once that system's destroyed and gone, or once that issue is destroyed and gone, what are you going to do? If you can't provide a solution, that is in love and in truth because you have the best interest of not only the truth, but also people, there has to be the balance there. But if you're actively standing against something just simply to destroy it, then you're the next time, once that's destroyed, you're just going to think, see, seek the next thing that you can destroy and we'll never build anything. We'll just be destroying systems that we see as evil. And then the next system that comes along, it'll just be completely destructive instead of ever building anything that can be beneficial to anybody. The key that we miss in Christianity is that Jesus came to bring us into new life, to bring us into eternal life. Now, the byproduct of that old ways were destroyed. The systems of the world are destroyed. Absolutely. But that's not, he didn't come saying, well, I need to destroy this and then we'll figure out what to do after that's gone. Came to bring us into something new. I think that's key. We we forget that quite a bit because it's easy to get fixated on. Well, I want to tear down this. Okay, great. But then what, what what happens when you're done tearing it down? What are you going to do with the remains? What are you going to do with the abscess you've just created? And the fact is, if you live from your identity, it absolutely does not matter the environment that you're in. Joseph lived from his identity, and he went from slavery to prison to running the largest country in the world as the main authority, as still a slave. So his, the, the, who he was overrode the environment. And to your point, we start looking at if we get rid of this system, then this will be better. You're still not living from your identity. And so we're still actually confirming the idea that environments is what makes people. Environments do not make people. Your source of who you are changes environments. And that has to be the, that the distinct, that is a distinct difference between the heart of Christianity and the heart of worldly secularism. Yeah. I think there has to be some, like as Christians, we, it's easy to go with what our community believes. Like if we all boycott this one thing, it's easy to do that. But the hard thing to do is stand as an individual, because like we've said, it's lonely like nobody's going to be there standing with you unless people see you standing in the truth and coming along. So I think for me personally, I just have to constantly focus on who is my source. And because that source alone is enough to stand on now, I don't require a community. I don't, while those things are great, while like community is great, there's the importance of the individual because we have to have individuality to be able to 
stand on truth regardless of what the circumstances because the community and the group you're in can always change and shift but if you stand on a truth that first identifies who you are as an individual then you can come together as the group but if that group ever breaks off you still have that foundation to go back on and that you should be standing on the whole time because the group is not eternal but the individual is i think i would just like to end by saying um no matter what i think that it can be easy for you to stand for stuff with other christians and other people who believe the same thing but i would even go and say that sometimes christians are very good at standing up for those things but never doing actually something to change it so i think that even having courage to do something to start change is what's needed, especially in Christian communities. Because once you start to stand up and start to do something about it, you'll see that a lot of people will come to your help and come to your aid and actually start doing something about it. But it takes courage to start doing something and acting on what you believe. So I'd just say that, and it's even like a point for me is just like, don't just point out bad things in the world or things that you don't believe in but point out what is true, but then do something with that truth to actually change and make impact in the world. Don't just say, oh, or like, for example, like premarital sex or sex just kind of meaningless in the world. Don't just say like, oh, you shouldn't have sex, but go and talk to that person and help them walk through why they do what they do or what, what inspires them to do this and show them a different way to do it. Don't, just don't say, oh, that's bad or that's wrong, but actually walk them through why. Be along with them for the ride, whether they're doing terrible things or not. Sometimes people just need someone there that can speak truth into their life until it finally clicks and they're able to live that out. All right, guys, I hope you've gotten something out of this discussion here. I definitely have. I got a great quote from uh, Caleb tonight that hopefully he'll let me post on social media just to let the world know that we're friends and everything. But I mean, um, this is this has sparked a lot of a lot of thoughts in me of times where I've had to take a hard look at my life in areas where I'd realized because someone pointed it out that I was really letting the system of the world. I know that sounds like this big mystical thing, but the system of the world was my source for certain things. And it took someone pointing that out for me to actually recognize what was going on. And so there's areas of our lives where that creeps in for all of us. And we've got to be free from it because it will consume you and it will destroy you no matter, no matter how well you do it, trying to appease the system of the world. At some point it will break you down. And so I hope you guys are coming away with this uh, from this with a perspective on how to let God be your source. And it can be confusing in different areas. Like, what does it actually mean for God to be my source socially? Like, that's a weird question. But my challenge is just ask your father about that. Say, Father, what does it actually look like for you to be my source for my emotions? Like, we're not really taught that. What does it look like for you to be my source financially? We all get that. But God, what does it look like for you to be my source when it comes to not feeling like my identity is compromised if I don't succumb to the society around me or whatever it is. God, what does it look like for you to be my source when it comes to things like like a sexual desire, like Tommy was talking about? Because 
you know, as, as cliche as it is, it's true that God wants to be your source for all things. And so what that looks like is a journey for all of us that I hope you guys are starting to walk down more and more, but we'll be back next week to do this all over again. We appreciate y'all listening in until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.